0: Many of you in your lives have probably been familiar with a a phrase that is often uh, used by people in the religious world when they are referring to someone who has has decided to preach and upon hearing of that decision they say something like this, so and so has been called to preach, called to preach. My brother-in-law, he has a unique sense of humor, my sister's husband in Smithville, and at the time that I decided to enter the Memphis School of Preaching, they learned of that in my hometown, and some of them were approaching him, some people in the religious world, and said, we've heard that Jim has been called to preach. He said, yes, he called here, and I told him he's living in Birmingham now, and he call down there. (laughs) That was his method of uh, countering that, uh, <laughs> that misconception. And of course, some of you may have, uh, may have heard about the young man who was standing at the back after preaching his first sermon, and an older lady in the congregation came back, and in her uh, candid way said, uh, where, did you, uh, where did you get the idea that you could preach? And he said, well, I was outside one day, and I looked up in the clouds, and I saw the clouds form GP." And I interpreted that to mean go preach. He said it could have meant go plow. (laughs) So we have heard uh, stories about uh, being called to preach. But is it a a valid uh, conception to talk about being called to preach? Well, in a sense it is. But no more than being called to become a child of God. No more than being called to become a Christian. Preachers are not called to preach in any special way, but they are called to become Christians if they're not yet Christians, and then they make that determination and that decision, hopefully after much prayer and contemplation, to give themselves to the preaching of the gospel. We know that to be the case from a passage we are going to look at as a key text this morning, and that is 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14 where the Apostle Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that uh, passage has a great deal uh, in it that we need to pay attention to. But we're going to look at some other passages. This is a launching point. But before we launch from this passage, we need to appreciate and understand that when Paul writes that the Lord, uh, that God called you from the beginning or chose you for, uh, from the beginning for salvation, that that had nothing to do with predestination of individuals, as we alluded to in the Bible class here in the auditorium this morning. But that it was a determined factor by God long before the Gentiles, who uh, these uh, Gentiles, these uh, Thessalonians were uh, Gentiles, that God determined to bring the Gentiles into uh, to the covenant relationship through the gospel. But he did not predetermine certain individuals among those Gentiles to be saved or lost. He simply chose from the beginning, long before the Mosaic Age was ever ushered in, that ultimately all men everywhere, Jew and Gentile, would be subject to the gospel and would be called by the gospel. And he actually gives us more detail as to how that choice was effected, how that choice was carried out. How? Through sanctification by the Spirit. Sanctification, that is being set apart, literally. For a holy use or separate from the world. But that sanctification came by what? By the Word of God. Oh, I thought it said by the Spirit. It does. But the Spirit gave us the Word. And so it is by the Word of the Spirit that we are called to come out of the world and to answer the call of the Gospel. The Spirit sanctifies as we respond to the teaching or the sanctification process that the Spirit initiates by our what? Here's the verse. Believe in the truth. And so the Spirit sanctifies by giving us the word that God through the Holy Spirit has given us in its completeness, in its entirety, in its fullness, and all of its power. And we are to respond by believing the truth that the Spirit has given us. And when we respond to the Spirit's truth that He has revealed to us, that is through the gospel, we answer the call to which He called you. To which? Salvation. We're called to salvation... By the gospel of Christ. And what's the ultimate goal? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal of those who've answered the call of the gospel is to ultimately share in that glory as they see him as he is and as they enjoy an eternity of bliss in heaven. But I'd like for us to see more this morning about the nature of our calling. This call by the gospel, how is it it described? And what can we learn and fully appreciate about the nature of our calling? We've already seen from the text we have just briefly looked at that that call comes by the word of God through the spirits giving us that word. We must believe that word and answer the call, and we'll talk more about that, of course, at the conclusion of our lesson. But what is the nature of this calling? It is not a, it is not a better felt and told experience. We've already seen that from 2 Thessalonians two thirteen and 14. It is not a misinterpretation of a GP that we perceive we see in the clouds. No, that's not how we answer the call to become Christians, nor how we answer the call if we ultimately decide to preach the gospel. But what is the nature of this calling? I want us to look at some key passages that reveal to us something very, very beautiful and significant that we should treasure about the calling that we have answered, if we've answered it and are Christians, or about the calling that you should answer even before this hour is complete. Because unless you answer that call, there can be no hope for the salvation about which Paul writes to the Thessalonians in the passage on the screen. First of all, it's a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling. The writer of Hebrews makes that abundantly clear in the text, Hebrews 3 in verse 1, where he writes to Christians and refers to them in this way, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers of the heavenly calling. You brethren who are holy, we'll talk more about that in a moment, you brethren who are holy, set apart, sanctified, again, by the teaching of the Spirit through your belief in the truth, you are part or partakers of a calling that did not come from men. And that's why we must reject the teachings of men that do not in any way, shape, form, or fashion constitute... The call of the gospel, which is described here in this text as a heavenly calling. Now, if you think about the passage we just noticed in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, to which He called you by our gospel, and you couple that with this statement, that you, if you've answered that call, are partakers of what kind of calling? A heavenly calling. What does that say about the gospel of Christ? From whence did it come? From heaven. It came from heaven. It did not come from man. Therefore, this word to which I must be obedient and remain obedient after I obey the gospel and answer the gospel call, this word is truly the word of God. Proves itself to be in so many ways internally and externally that to the honest mind, one cannot deny that this book is like no other. That it is a product, obviously, of the inspiration of Almighty God and those who answer the call are partakers of a heavenly calling. Now what are we called upon to do in this text? Having become partakers of that heavenly calling, we are to what? Consider. Consider the Apostle and High Priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Christ here is called an Apostle. The Apostle. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. This is inspired scripture. And we can understand that an apostle, being one who was sent, is a description that certainly applies to the Christ, doesn't it? Because he was sent from God. God's only begotten Son was sent by the Father. But he willingly came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died the most horrific Death that one could possibly imagine for you and for me that we might truly have opportunity to answer the heavenly call through the gospel and to become partakers of that heavenly calling. But we are called upon here as those who have to consider. And that word consider is not by any means a casual glance at him from time to time. It means an intent gaze. It means an absolute Focus, and that our lives are focused on the apostle and high priest of our confession. And the term high priest clearly indicates something that Peter writes about, for example, in 1 Peter 2, that we are all, if we've answered the heavenly call, if we've obeyed the gospel, we have all become priests. With one high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not like that Levitical priesthood that simply typified the priesthood of all believers, of which we're privileged to be a part if we're Christians this morning. And we have the high priest, our one high priest, our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Consider him, focus on him, emulate him. For to this you were called, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps and therefore we must not allow this world to distract us and ultimately destroy us but we must maintain our focus our intent consideration of the Apostle and high priest of our what confession King James says profession what we have confessed whom we have confessed it is the Christ and that confession means far more than sweetening our lips with the words, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, prior to going down into the water of baptism, though certainly that's an essential part of answering the call of the gospel. But that is a confession that manifests itself in a consideration that is perpetual, and that our lives constitute a living confession, if you will, of the one whom we focus upon and whom we consider every day of our lives, as the very center of our lives, and that is the Christ. He's not an important segment of our lives. Christ is our life, and we are to consider him in that respect. So the gospel is described as a call from heaven, but it's not a miraculous call. It's a call that comes through the word, as we have already established. And if one is waiting for some sort of sign or miraculous call from heaven in order to show one that one is to become a child of God or a Christian, that will not come because in these last days God has spoken to us, the Hebrews writer elsewhere writes, through his Son. And Jesus said, the words that I have spoken the same will judge you in the last day. I have spoken my words. They are recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Those are the words that will judge you. Those are the words that constitute the gospel to which you must respond, the call which you must answer. It's a call. It comes not through the living Christ in a miraculous way, but through the living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, the word that Christ himself has authorized, and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, delivered to inspired men who recorded it forevermore upon the pages of Holy Writ. And speaking of holy writ, that's the next consideration of our calling. It is not only a heavenly calling, but it's a holy calling. Listen to Peter, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, "Be holy, for I am holy." To God's people of old, Leviticus eleven forty-four, God. God spoke those words. You shall be holy because I am holy. And holiness involves that sanctification, that being set apart for a holy you. Sometimes the word is translated sanctified, sometimes holy. But the idea is a separation. We're called to be separate. We're called to be separate. And oh, how vitally important it is for everyone who has answered that call, or or for those who haven't answered it, to understand that once you answer it, once you answer it, everything changes. Everything changes. And yes, you are under a yoke. You are bearing a burden that you did not bear before you answered the call. But how does Jesus describe it? Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle or meek as the King James says and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, compared to the burden that is lifted at Calvary as we often sing, the burden we bear as children of God, the yoke that we take upon ourselves as children of God is light and easy because... We have been separated to a holy calling, and we understand that everything has changed. Oh, yes, will we be denied certain things? The pleasures of sin for a season that Moses himself gave up in order to enjoy affliction with the people of God, as the Hebrews' epistle tells us, yes. But Moses gladly gave those pleasures of sin up, and we should gladly give them up in order to have not only the blessings hereafter, but the blessings here that are ours in Christ Jesus. And to understand and appreciate that there is no life that compares to the Christian life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Is that a reference only to the life hereafter? I think not. I think to the life here as well as hereafter. The abundant life awaits those who answer the call of the gospel. but it is a call to holiness that we cannot that we cannot downplay. We have to understand that God through Christ has absolutely demanded but so richly deserves everything that we can give in terms of full commitment to him. And you know, as I've often said, By doing so, you have the real joy of Christianity. By falling short of that total commitment, you fall short of the joy that awaits the one who understands the need for that full commitment. All of self and none of thee? No. Some of self and some of thee? No. All of thee. None of self and all of thee. Not all of self and none of thee, I should have said. But it is none of self and all of thee. That's what the Lord wants. He who is not with me is against me, and he who gathers not with me scatters abroad. There is no neutrality when it comes to our service to God. Our holiness must be clearly evident. Does that mean we're sinlessly perfect as we seek to live the Christian life? Of course not. But it means that we are to strive for that sinless perfection. Therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. That follows the text that talks about loving enemies. Not just doing what the tax collectors do. Not just loving those who love us, but going beyond that. To a life of separateness and holiness. A life that seeks to emulate the perfection of of the Father in heaven and of the Son who gave himself for us. But you know, a part of that joy of being separated by that holy calling is that we have hope because the call of the gospel is not only a heavenly calling, not only a holy calling, but it's a hopeful calling. It's a hopeful calling. There is one body Ephesians 4, 4 tells us, In one spirit, just as you were called, there we are, being called, in one what? In one hope of your calling. Oh, much could be said about the great ones that are enumerated there, but our emphasis is upon one hope of your calling. You're called into one body by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, through his teaching, as we've already said, But in that one body, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have something that tragically the vast majority of those alive today and tragically the vast majority who have ever lived and tragically the vast majority of those who will live until the Lord comes again will never have because Jesus said, Few there be that find salvation, therefore few there will be who have the hope about which this text tells us. Hope is desire coupled with expectation. I realize that there are those who've been deceived by the teachings of men and by the creeds of men and it's a tragedy beyond description because that deception has produced within their hearts a false hope and a false peace. Not the peace that surpasses understanding, but a false peace and a false hope. We must make sure that the hope that is within us is the hope that is founded upon the truth of God's word that comes only to those who have answered the call of the gospel, the one gospel about which we are studying in the Galatian letter, the one unchangeable gospel, cannot even be changed by an angel if that were possible for an angel to come from heaven. Paul says don't believe it, don't believe it, this is an unchangeable gospel. And it is this unchangeable gospel and not the creeds and traditions of men that provides hope. The desire for the heavenly abode, but coupled with the expectation of one day being there. Only those who've answered the call of the gospel have that hope. You know, I've mentioned before that there are a lot of towns around America that are named New Hope. But you've never driven into one that says, welcome to No hope. I don't know of a town named No Hope. Who wants to name a town No Hope? But New Hope. New Hope is what we have when we've answered the call of the gospel of Christ. And then we can know that we truly are on our way. But you know what we must realize on our way? Is that that same calling is also a helpful calling. That on our way to that heavenly home or which we hope, have our desire and expectation, we've got to be helpers along the way. And oh, how important this is. Listen to the passage in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. What a passage. What a beautiful summary of the attitude that all of us must have if we're going to realize the hope that we have of heaven. We've got to help along the way. And part of that help involves the relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ that we should have and must have if we are truly among those who understand the call and have answered that call properly. How are we to treat one another? What is our attitude to be toward one another? Having compassion for one another. Three of the words in this text are used nowhere else in the New Testament nowhere else. Being of one mind, compassion, love as brothers, those three words that are translated there are not used elsewhere. Being of one mind, having compassion from the word, we get our word sympathy. Being sympathetic for one another. Being compassionate toward one another. Thinking about what we say to each other before we say it to make sure that indeed it is characterized by courteous speech. Be courteous. Some translations have humble-minded, some courteous, as the New King James here. But a kind spirit, a tender-hearted spirit, loving as brothers, recognizing the relationship that we sustain to one another, the closeness of that relationship, and what that, what that demands of us in terms of how we express ourselves and conduct ourselves in our relationships to one another. Oh, we've said it before, but those outside this body should be able to see within this body the very attitude that Peter is enjoining upon his readers here. An attitude of like-mindedness, an attitude of compassion for one another, Love as brothers, tenderheartedness, courtesy, kindness. Now, does that mean that we never rebuke a brother? That we never say anything to to counter sin when it manifests itself in a brother or sister? Of course not. Because you see, if we interpret this passage in that way and we fail to rebuke when sin manifests itself, then we violated the admonition to love as brothers. Because love as brothers means to be courteous, yes. But it also means to courteously rebuke. When rebuke is essential. Because we love and because we want that sin to be removed from that life. And we should also desire that from our brothers. Toward us, If we ourselves are in a situation where we need rebuke, to be of the kind of mind that will accept it in the right spirit. It should be offered in the right spirit, but it should be accepted in the right spirit. Correction should be made immediately, and then we continue in this beautifully harmonious relationship that Peter describes in this text. You were called to this. Don't revile when you're reviled. Don't return evil for evil. Doesn't this remind you of what the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, along about verses 39 and so? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Don't just love those who love you, but you go beyond that. And you do good toward those who would do you wrong. And by doing so, you show if you, that you've answered the call of the gospel and you understand that that call is a helpful calling. The nature of our calling, it is a heavenly calling. Hebrews 3 1. A holy calling. 1 Peter 1 15. A hopeful calling. Ephesians 4 4. And yes, a helpful calling, First Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But remember, remember the phrase from the first passage we looked at. To which, that is salvation, he called you by what? Our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only thing that's calling today. It's the only thing that will be calling tomorrow. It's the only thing that will be calling you to answer the call until the Lord comes again. And therefore, we plead with you to answer that call. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, 24, or die in your sins. Jesus said, believe that I am He or die in your sins. Repent of your sins. Jesus said, Luke thirteen three, and again at verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. Confess me, he said, before men, and I will confess you before the Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and other passages, Romans 10, 10. And yes, yes, you must be baptized because Jesus said he who believes and is baptized will be saved in so many other passages that could be cited and examples that could be set forth where all who answered the call answered it in just this way that we have just outlined here from Scripture. And then, of course, having answered it, you must be faithful unto death to receive the crown of life. Oh, the gospel is all-sufficient and all-powerful. It calls you this morning. If you haven't answered that call in the manner that we've just described from the Word of God, it's our fervent plea and prayer that you'll do it this very moment. And if you have once answered that call, but you know that faithfulness to God has not characterized your life since you answered that call, and that that unfaithfulness is known in a way that you need to repent of it publicly and ask brothers who love you and sisters who love you to pray with you and for you to the God who loves you supremely, we plead with you to do that as we stand and sing.